Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The world has well, many criticisms, one particular criticism of Christians, that we're obsessed with sex. What I mean by that is that we like to tell everybody how wrong they are about sex. That we have this uh, fixation on sex. But two things. First, let's be completely and brutally honest. Part of the reason why Christians talk about sex is because our culture is absolutely sex-crazed. Look at the TV, look at the ads. We practically have the internet because of pornography. The, they know it sells, and so it's everywhere. The other thing is that it has become a go-to definition of a complete life has to have sex. That if you are not having sex, you are somehow incomplete, deprived. Sex is something that God has given specific teachings to us. I want you to think for a minute about food and the abuse of food. Or maybe some other pleasures. But gluttony is something that you can participate in, and it's just something between you and food. You can kind of do it mindlessly. We talk about mindless eating, right? Gluttony does not have the same gift of self involved in it, right? Gluttony is something that we reach to food in order to cover something, to pass the time of our anxiety or loss or emptiness. This is also can be true about sex. But when sex goes awry, fornication or self-abuse, it is a degradation. Because sex gone awry is a throwing away of an incredibly intimate, personal gift. You can treat it like it's just something that animals do, but this would be a degradation of yourself and especially the degradation of the other person involved. Beyond the degradation, it also is then a unique defilement of one's temple, one's body, one's soul, because it rewires our soul. It reprograms, it ties us down to the flesh in completely unhealthy ways. It is incredibly powerful. It is why there is addiction attached to it and is incredibly powerful to break. Beyond a degradation and a defilement, it's also a desecration. Because it breaks the commandments of God, it darkens the soul and it alienates one from God. 
I just think back, this is not any kind of official poll. If I think back to college and all of the folks that I went to college, we're in church, we're Christians, and then it seems like everybody started dropping like flies. Like, what in the world is going on? No more church. I'm done. God, whatever. I don't care. I'd say 75% of the time, there was somebody else involved and there was something else going on. And all of a sudden, of course, I don't believe in God. I have nothing to do with him. The reality of our sex-crazed culture is a wake-up call for us to realize that it is time, and it is always time, to catechize not only ourselves, but also our children as to what is going on in the world. Because if we're not catechizing them as parents or as the church, the world, TikTok, YouTube, I think blogs are a little passe right now. But these things, TikTok, YouTube, all of these things, besides their peers, because they're also going to get it from those sources, they're going to catechize. They're going to teach. They're going to shape your desire. They're going to shape what you think is normal. They are going to, and is purposefully, out there to reshape what you think. It will redefine what sex is, what marriage is, what do we do with sexual desire. Part of the challenge for us with sexual desire is that we do not have an actual beautiful vision of what chastity, what sexual desire directed towards God, sexual desire in the right lane, that is beautiful. That is something that we should desire, that we struggle with desire gone wrong. We know there's a reason why we have so much shame attached to this. We know intrinsically and empirically that lust warps us. It warps our vision of others. It warps our relationship with the world. It warps especially our relationship with God. But God, this is not despondency or despair because there is a beautiful vision of the desire boundaries given by God to us the ultimate shape and direction of our erotic desire is something the fathers teach us can be turned upward towards God the positive virtue of sexual desire is chastity if you were to read in Webster's dictionary what chastity is well, I'll tell you, <laughs> so you don't have to Google Webster, Webster's Dictionary or have the, open up the app. I would prefer the Oxford English Dictionary, but I don't have access to that because you have to pay an enormous amount of money to get access to it. <laughs> Chastity is the quality or state of being chaste such as abstention from unlawful sexual intercourse, abstention from all sexual intercourse. These are various definitions. Purity and conduct and intention. That's half the story. Part of the problem with definition, and I think this is where we carry around with this definition, is just don't do that. <laughs> right? But that is not actually what the church teaches about chastity. It's not just don't do that. Chastity is an inner harmony of body, mind, and soul. 
It is the right ordering of our desires. It's not just the absence or not breaking the law. The beauty of chastity, and there's two basic paths. One is marriage. God ordained for sexual acts to happen between a man and a woman in marriage. Sex is a gift, an intimate, personal gift to another. And it is ordained by God that it happens within a solid, committed relationship. This is where children come into the world. For at the heart of new life, in the creation of a new person, is the self-offering of two lovers to each other. It's within the confines of marriage as it provides a firm foundation for a home, for a place for one to grow up with a mother and a father. Because we know the power of sex and what it brings. It brings life. The other path is virginity. This is the path of celibacy and this can either be in the path in the monastery or it can be lived out in the world in the church but marriage and virginity either of these directions ultimately chastity governs both of them chastity the fathers teach us is the result of our desires all the natural desires that god has given us sexual desire is something that god has given to us Hunger is something that God has given to us. This is right alongside other things, the desire to be known, the desire to be loved. All of these natural things are good. The challenge, the problem is that we usually do not curb our desire. We descend upon things in the world and we want to put them up as gods. We worship them like idols. The transformation of Eros from outside of the boundaries that God has given us into the correct avenues is ultimately and primarily it is redirected towards love towards God. You have anger. What do you do with anger? I'll give another example. Anger. The fathers talk about, we all know that being angry, we, we know, right? You physically feel anger. But the fathers say, you know, God gave you that so that you can fight sin. Anger is given to you to push you forward, to want to resist, to detest what is detestable. But Eros, a definition, this is a little bit of an edit from last night's definition of Eros. Eros is love's mad self-forgetting. We see this icon of chastity eros loves mad self-forgetting in saint mary of egypt if you're wondering why in the world did father come out of the gates on this subject it's because of the sunday of saint mary of egypt the life of saint mary as she tells to saint zosimus was one of love's mad self-forgetting after the idols of sex, of food, of drink, and she even mentions songs. Songs that overtook her, that took her away, that reminded her of all of the fleshiness, all of the things. 
I know we can all relate to that. You can think of some songs and it takes you back to some times. What St. Mary of Egypt in her mad self-forgetting towards not God, but towards idols that she put up, she experiences when she comes to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where there is the precious and life-giving cross put out because it's the Feast of the Cross. The whole time, she had been defiling pilgrims along the way. Of course, defiling herself in the process. So that she, in kind of mindless action, I'm going to go to the church, there's a spectacle, there's the cross. But her experiences of being barred from entering the church that she could not enter into the church. There was that force keeping her from the holy place. She says, Only then did I realize the cause which prevented me from laying eyes on the life-giving cross. For a salvific word touched the eyes of my heart, showing me that it was the filth of my actions that was barring the entrance to me. Then I began to cry. Lamenting and beating my breast, raising sighs from the depths of my heart. One of the ways in which we need to awaken to our death, the death inside of us, is there's times that God bars things, there's times that God does things to wake us up, to strike our hearts to bring us back, barring us from church, realizing at some point that we just go through the actions, having someone look at us straight in the eye and tell us a truth and not evade it, but have an opportunity for repentance. St. Mary is an icon of chastity because She allowed herself to be awakened. She attuned her heart and allowed sensitivity, even though she had spent years doling all of her senses. To become sensitive to her own defilement, to the desecration, to desire to change. It is in Mary's turn, as she awakens to this She turns to the beauty of the saints, to the beauty of God. She turns as she sees an icon of Our Lady. St. Mary says, as soon as I spoke these words, I received the fire of faith, just like some kind of assurance of being encouraged by the compassion of the mother of God. If we are enslaved to lust or to unchaste activity or thoughts we need to turn to the saints we need to turn to the mother of God the virgin the all pure one because we need help we're not going to force our way through it we have to ask for help from release from our bonds from the shackles we need to ask for the intercession of Saint Mary Saint Moses of all sorts of saints. Because you're not alone if you struggle with this particular struggle. The saints, and it shows up a lot in the writings of the fathers. We turn to them. We love the purity within them. 
that was hard-earned and won. It was not just that they just had it by magic or something. We revalue and reorient our desires through continuous small and major adjustments. Turn off the media or limit your exposure if you work through social media. Note the patterns in which you turn to lust and reroute those patterns. And by patterns, I mean what you physically do, what room you're in, where you're going, what you are thinking, what emotional things are going on inside of you that makes you turn to those things. There's a great example in a saint, I forget his name. He was a saint uh, at the caves in Kiev, where for one lint, he went and he dug a hole and he got himself into the hole and he filled it all the way up here and he was in lint the entire time he was up to his waist because he was struggling with this particular passion. I don't have to connect the dots for you. (laughs) Right? He rerouted extremely what he needed to do. He dug a hole and he put himself in it. I'm not saying you go dig a hole because we'll miss you at Holy Week. But what I'm giving as an example is that radical change in what you actually do, not just what you think, but what you do, where you keep your cell phone, where you keep your laptop. Those are things that you need to be aware of. Finally, St. Mary gives us an icon of chastity and the struggle for chastity because she fled to the desert. She fled the richness of constant pleasure. It's what, partly what Lent does for us in fasting and almsgiving and churning down the noise of the world. She fled to the protection of God and the Theotokos through prayer. It's very often that we talk about struggling with something, right? I struggle with this, I struggle with that. But often what we mean by struggling is basically just an admission that I sin in this way, right? There's no struggle involved in it. <laughs> it's just, oh, yep. <laughs> that's what the father's, that's a habit, right? That you're broken. <laughs> you are shackled. You don't even think about it. You're just there. To actually struggle. And in struggling, that means constant renewal, constant falling down. Constant renewal, constant falling down. It's going to be, Mary, she talks about having the waves of the desire. And she lays down on the ground for a whole day and night. Again, I'm not, that might not be the great ascetical practice for you to pick up. But prostrations, saying your prayers, going to the icon corner, even going outside, you know. Joseph, when he was tempted, what did he do? He ran. He got out of the situation. Chastity is ultimately a gift from God. It is not something that we can do just by struggling and struggling. We have to seek his grace in the matter. St. John Climacus tells us, Offer to the Lord the weakness of your nature, fully acknowledging your own powerlessness, and imperceptibly you will receive the gift of chastity. St. Mary is an icon of chastity, the redirection of her eros, 
from the things of this world to love's mad, self-forgetting, mad, ecstatic, almost like you're out of your mind, self-forgetting towards God. And that's exactly the image that we're given in the gospel this morning of the woman with the fragrant oil who doesn't matter what the Pharisees think. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's weeping. She's using her hair to wash his feet. And doesn't matter what other people think. Mad self-forgetting. Her eros from a life where she lived like St. Mary of Egypt towards complete and utter devotion to our Lord. And what does our Lord say in response to the Pharisees, to Simon? He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Why? For she loved much. May God grant us mad self-forgiving love for him to free us from all of the shackles that bind us, that ultimately destroy us, so that we can have the freedom, the liberty, the beauty that it is to have the chastity before God, because we have loved much. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.